Hello, it's Wednesday the 15th of March. I'm Gary Bowman. On today's show, I'll be discussing the current state of airlines and aviation in ASEAN with Shukor Yusof of Endow Analytics. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So as we approach the end of the first quarter of 2023, and we near the one-year anniversary since most Southeast Asian nations restored quarantine-free travel after the pandemic shutdowns, what have we learned about the aviation sector recovery? To help us delve deeper, we're delighted to welcome back Shukor Yusof, founder and CEO of Malaysia and Singapore-based Endow Analytics. Shukor is a frequent media commentator and analyst of regional aviation issues and was last on the Southeast Asia Travel Show back on the 3rd of June, 2022. So Shukor, thanks for coming back onto the show. How are you doing today? And where are you right now? I'm good, Gary. I'm in Johor Bahru and very happy to speak to you again. So it's, uh, it's several months since we spoke. Quite a lot has happened during that time. There's plenty for us to talk about in terms of aviation airports and airlines across the region. But let's start by looking at a couple of aviation industry metrics, which get used quite a lot in, in discourse, in media, and in the industry itself. Uh, those two are capacity and profitability. Now, these are not always clearly understood, and particularly in the current context. So Let's start with capacity, Shukor, which airlines regularly cite in terms of their recovery towards pre-pandemic levels of capacity. What should our listeners know about airline capacity? What does it measure and what does it not tell us? Thanks for that question, Gary. That's a very, very good question and very useful for passengers who fly uh, on planes these days who may not understand the concept of Southeast uh, aviation jargons that we go through. Basically, capacity is the ability of the airline to mount or to fill up the aircraft with as many passengers as the plane is designed to fit in. Um, so it depends on the configuration of the seats in the narrow body for, like, a, for example, the 737 or an A320, for example, which typically would fit in um, 160 to 170, some even 180, depending on how much you can squeeze uh, people into that uh, metal tube. Uh, and so capacity essentially is the number of people that you put into an aircraft uh, at any given time in, in, in the flight schedule. So when airline CEOs or airline officials talk about raising or reducing capacity, they essentially... And it, it, it correlates also with the with the type of aircraft that an airline uses. So, as I mentioned, a, a, a narrow body, which is the smaller single-aisle aircraft, uh, can fit on average about 160. So that's your capacity for any given flight from, say, Kuala Lumpur to Singapore on an A320, for example. So 160, 165, for example. Or, uh, alternatively, you can have a wide-body aircraft, a triple seven, an A350, for example, or a 787 Dreamliner, and the capacity significantly shoots up. So you're going from 160 in the narrow body to perhaps almost double that 
uh, in, in a wide body aircraft, again, depending on configuration. So when, airline, when an airline says, you know, we, our capacity is not where we were pre-COVID, for example, and they're saying, you know, we were running, for example, 100 aircraft in our fleet before the lockdown. And now we're, say, 70, 75% of that capacity. So what they're saying is that 75% of the aircrafts are running compared to 100 three or three and a half years ago. So they are having fewer seats that they can offer to the marketplace. And that's why airfares have gone up, because the number of aircraft are falls. Quite a number of airlines are still not back where they were uh, before the pandemic. So I, you know, I, I think that essentially is what capacity is all about, the ability of an airline uh, to control and, and measure the, the productivity of the aircraft in terms of having the number of passengers in it. Okay, so that's a great start. Let's move on to the second metric, Shukor, and that's profitability. Now, it seems pretty obvious that airlines report their quarterly earnings in terms of profit. That's what all businesses do. However, in the post-pandemic context, when we're talking about airline profits, they're driven by various factors. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yes, of course. I think uh, profitability, I think, for many airlines mean different things. I mean, airlines can be can be skinned and still report profitability. Um, so it's, it's sometimes designed to confuse uh, passengers or just the, the layman because you can be profitable in terms of your uh, savings by not uh, spending uh, sufficient amount of money on on your jet fuel, for example, in that particular quarter. I mean, I'm referring to airlines that are listed in in the stock market. I mean, some airlines uh, are not listed, so we it's it's harder for us to determine or to understand whether they actually have made a profit or otherwise. But for those airlines that are listed, they um, they're giving out their report their earnings report every quarter, and so we can gauge uh, the profitability, whether it's profitability in terms of the um, the real money that's they've, that they've earned from selling tickets or flying passengers or whether profitability that came from other aspects of, of the business, i.e. they can be leasing out uh, aircraft, they, you know, some, something called sale and lease bag where they can, they can uh, earn money from um, leasing out some of the aircraft that they own, or also they can also um, earn money from selling aircraft to other airlines, uh, you know, and then then they can market down as a as a profit as well. So so those are some of the areas with you. And and as I mentioned uh, earlier uh, to this question, I mean the the thing with um, jet fuel is also a, an interesting factor to look into because. Airlines can earn uh, profitability, profits rather, um, when they get their hedging right. So hedgings are done uh, before the financial year. Um, so it, it depends on how an airline sets up uh, its its hedging formula and, and all that. So a lot of, uh, it's very complex, but essentially what they do is they bet on uh an amount of jet fuel that they're going to take in, say, six months or to 12 months of the year. And when oil prices come down, uh, so airlines tend to benefit, so they can register a profit in that sense because they've paid X amount of money and 
when oil prices go down, they've, they've earned a substantial amount of money because they're not actually paying um, the higher uh, amount. Uh, if, if, if oil does go out and if oil does go down, they say they can uh, earn a profit from that. And so it's uh, it's always reflected in the earnings. So when when airlines announce their earnings or reveal the numbers every quarter, every uh, fiscal year, then it's it's uh, interesting to see some of these uh, breakdowns in the segments of their businesses, whether it's in in, in jet fuel, whether it's in and and the other one would be forex in uh, in currencies. Uh, because it, uh, currencies is very fluid, it it floats uh, sometimes crazily, as, as we are seeing in the last few months. Uh, airlines can can uh, eke out a bit of profit because uh, if the U.S. dollar, which is the primary currency that's used in the aviation business, falls, then um, you can earn a substantial amount of uh, profits from that. So. I give you an example, uh, Cathay Pacific, which is uh, denominated in Hong Kong dollars. Hong Kong dollars is pegged to the US dollar. So while the rest, for many other airlines in Southeast Asia and Asia Pacific, are grappling with the very strong US dollar, the, uh, the Hong Kong national carrier, Cathay, is, is still doing pretty well because they are uh, the currency is pegged to the US dollar. And so their ability to to pay their debts, to uh, to pay the uh, for jet fuel, all that is not as adversely affected as with other airlines. So, in terms of profitability, overall, at the end of the year, you can see you know these are some of the profits you earn from passengers paying for their tickets. These are the profitability from some of your, uh, for example, share buybacks, for example, or some of the aircraft they resold. So there are many different aspects of the business that contribute to the overall profitability of an airline. That's great. So that sets the scene very nicely for the next part of our discussion. As I mentioned in the show intro, it's almost one year since travel restarted quarantine-free here in Southeast Asia. How does the region's aviation landscape look in March 2023 compared to mid-March 2022? It looks very sunny. It's, it's thriving. Uh, as we know, I mean, it's it's real. It's borne out by uh, the data from whichever agency you look at. So people are, are obviously traveling more compared to a year ago because uh, the borders have essentially been removed. And all the health protocols that are, are links to, to COVID have been remove also, thankfully. And so there's a great deal of crisscrossing in the air uh, within Southeast Asia, within Asia Pacific. And you see a lot of that uh, empirically. If you look at some of the cities uh, in Southeast Asia, if you go to Bangkok, uh, Kuala Lumpur, Singapore, uh, Jakarta, various other um, cities around the region. So the, the people are just traveling, not just uh, people from outside of ASEAN, but within ASEAN as well. So there's a lot of uh, inter-ASEAN travel. And so it's it's very healthy. It's uh, helped uh, some of the airlines, the low-cost carriers especially, to register a very healthy uh, last quarter, I think, uh, you know, um, October to December last year. 
And I think this year also, from January to March, at the end of this month, we'll see a very strong um, set of figures for quite a number of the airlines. Uh, I, so it, it is certainly the trend as far as the last six months have gone, indicate that there is, I, I think, you know, I, I don't quite like the word uh, revenge travel. Uh, I, I think it's just uh, pent-up demand and people are uh, keen to to move around. I think they miss traveling. Uh, there's some truth to that. Uh, I also think that, you know, there, there's also support from many governments to to encourage people to travel. Singapore has been at the forefront of this. They've, they've completely opened up. They have enticed people from not just from our region, but from beyond ASEAN and Asia Pacific to come. And, and it's been very successful for them. The casinos are starting to fill up, even without uh, you know many Chinese coming. So that's a, a healthy sign for their economy. Uh, likewise, in Bangkok, uh, and, and uh, Jakarta as well, I, I, it's such that you know the airlines are starting to struggle to to increase the number of flights because there's still a shortage of labor. Uh, there's still some teething problems in terms of uh, getting the uh, the, the uh, catering and all that stuff on the ground and, and ATC and you know after three years of lockdown there, there are many issues but overall yes we are in far better position than we were a year ago. Yeah, I would agree with that. You you've referenced some of the big cities and the big city airports like you. I've, I've been using KLA quite a lot in recent months and certainly the, the volumes have increased. You can see that the confidence to travel is certainly back. Yeah. You mentioned various reasons why people are traveling. Again, I, th- think, I think certainly the fact that there's more confidence. There are some challenges ahead though, aren't there, as we rebuild probably at a faster pace than this time last year. So, you know, what are some of the challenges that we're facing? Will we see longer checking queues? Will we see baggage weights getting worse? You know, will we see some of the issues like baggage getting lost, like you saw in Europe last year? Do you think any of those things are on the horizon? I think what's not lacking is the confidence, as you rightfully mentioned. I think there's a huge amount of confidence that I can see and, and perceive and, and feel from the people when, when you go to the airports or you, you, you just move around and you, you ask people, you know, how they, they've arrived at a certain destination. So, uh, and you also hear stories about, I think, the challenges, if you like, um, Gary, is that our logistics, our infrastructure is still struggling to cope with the number. I mean, you can't generalize, every, you know, it, it, it's fine in Singapore because they're very organized, as we know, but it's not fine in, in Malaysia. It's not fine in Jakarta, for example, or, or even Bangkok. I was there some months ago and they were... Um, the deluge of passengers who just arrive at Suvarnabhumi, for example, I mean, they couldn't cope, obviously. And so we, we're seeing a lot of this, and it's not improving. Uh, Malaysia is a very good example. We we hear stories of what's happening, as you say, at, at KLIA and all that. Um, you know, especially when when uh, infra- infrastructure breaks down, like the train breaking down. You know, passengers have had to walk along the tracks and all that. So it's 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 those things that are 
you know, I wouldn't say they're small things, they're part of the bigger picture as well. So it shows very much how incompetent some people are in, in some countries in terms of them dealing with this uh, influx of passengers because not a lot was done in the three years of lockdown. So if you had had the foresight to use that downtime to recognize the deficiencies in, in some of your infrastructure, then you would have fixed it. Because whenever we have crisis, we overcome crisis, and then there's going to be an upturn again. So some countries were not prepared for that. Yeah, I would agree with that. So we've talked about capacity, we've talked about uh, profitability, we've talked about this confidence, and we've talked about travel volumes are increasing in the region. If you're a traveler, the big issue at the moment and has been for the last few months is airfares. Where are we going with those, Shukra? Are we going to see any movement downwards on airfare prices? I'm afraid not. I think <laughs> I, I see that going higher and higher for the very reasons that, are, that we've talked about earlier, which is uh, the capacity has, has not yet been fully met or fully risen to a point where they were uh, to cater to the, the number of people that are or, or traveling now. So if you look at three to six months down the road, and the airlines know very well because they do a lot of, uh, they get a lot of forward booking. So their revenue management team would be looking at this and they clearly can see the trend, especially as we go into the summer period in the next uh, three, four months. However, you know, some carriers are not back up to to 100% in terms of putting their planes back into the fleet. And that's uh, that can be quite an issue because you have the number of people who want to fly, uh, but you don't have quite the number of planes. And, you know, so we've had a lot of uh, technical issues uh, affecting not just not just uh, the, the, the top carriers, but uh, also the, 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 um, the, the smaller ones. And this happens everywhere because uh, we, we're not quite ready, in my view, to face this uh, transformational change that's coming from tourists, and especially when the Chinese start to come, and they will come in, in the coming months. So that's a, a huge challenge for the authorities to face. I think uh, they have to start reorganizing and every aspect of the experience on the ground at the airport in terms of the hospitality business, in terms of uh, ground transportation and all that. So that's, that's the, you know, the thing with airfares as well. So it's going to keep up. I think people have, no, have not shown any signs that they're, not, they're going to boycott airlines. Uh, so they're still going to find. So it's good news for, for the airline CEOs. So you referenced there China, Shokor. We have to talk about the recovery and the return of Chinese travelers into the region. Particularly today, China's announced that it will start reissuing tourist visas for inbound travel today. And it's also incl included a list of 40 new countries for outbound group tour travel as from today. Obviously, China being closed for the last three years has been a huge break on the recovery in Southeast Asia and across Asia Pacific. Uh, what's the outlook, do you think? You mentioned that Chinese travelers are coming back. We're pretty sure about that. What's happening next, do you think? I think what happens next depends very much outside of the aviation industry's control, which is the political part of it. And I think, and that's also one of my major concerns. I, I, 
don't really have a good feeling of what's coming around the corner for, for the rest of this year, unfortunately. I mean, when you look at the rhetoric, you look at some of the um, the postulations of, of politicians around the world, um, so it doesn't you give one uh, a sense of confidence about that helping the industry moving forward. To, to, to move forward. I think we're doing okay at the moment, but you know things could change very quickly at the blink of an eye. In fact, um, if, if something were to happen, you know you see a lot of movements and this is something I, I, I pay close attention to what's going on amongst the, uh, the Western leaders right? when then you see, what the, the Chinese and the Russians and, and the Indians are doing, for example, because they are major players today in the world and they can uh, contribute a lot positively or, or negatively for that matter to the way things are going. Likewise, you could say the same for, for, for Europe and, and the US. So they, you know, whatever they do determine the sensitivity and the appetite for traveling around the world. So I worry about that. I also worry about the uh, uh, whether there's going to be a systemic contagion arising out of uh, 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 the bank's failure in some parts of the U.S. right now, as well as we are uh, looking at the news. So hopefully not. I think uh, that seems to be under control now. But again, you know, it does give you uh, some sort of concern that that quite a few things are not going right. In, in the financial in the in the in the economic world, and then you you mix that with the very potent politics that are are uh, going about today, then it's a recipe for disaster. And and the airline business can do nothing about that. So you have revenge travel, you have pent up demand. That's all going down the drain. If you know there's going to be conflict, there's going to be. Uh, a confrontation somewhere, uh, so that's that's a real fear, and that's going to uh, disrupt uh, more than what COVID has done. But the Chinese, I think, they will travel, but not in as great a, a number of volume as they they did pre-COVID. One because I think the Chinese are very price sensitive, and and if you look at uh, the data that's coming out of China, the slowdown in their economy, the the, the relative weakness of the yuan. Uh, vis-a-vis the uh, the euro and, and the USD. So those are the things that uh, the, the Chinese the potential Chinese travelers are going to be considering. So good news for Southeast Asia because it's a lot cheaper for them to travel out here than it would be to Europe or to, to North America. Yeah, so we've talked about some of the international factors. We talked about China there. In terms of the actual aviation industry, the landscape is changing quite significantly and some of that will have an impact here in Southeast Asia. Recently, we've heard that Saudi Arabia is now announcing an ambitious new carrier. Air India is scaling up its fleet and its operations. The Chinese airlines are returning. You know, what should we expect in terms of the actual aviation sector in, in terms of the near future and sort of a little bit further ahead? Is there going to be significant change? I think we are changing constantly. I think this is the thing about the aviation industry. There's no, you know, it's always uh, change is continuous and you know, it's it's for the good. So it's always evolving. So we're seeing, as you've said, you know, developments in India with, with Air India especially. That's a positive sign. I think uh, Singapore Airlines has invested significantly in that carrier. 
So it's going to take some time before it show it shows results, but it's a positive sign because it's uh, it's going in the right direction as far as Indian aviation is. And India is such a huge, huge beast in our part of the world and and the world uh, for the industry that uh, it needs everybody's support. So I I hope that goes well. Likewise for Saudi Arabia, that is fantastic you know, to see what's happening in that country. Whichever way you look at it, leave aside all the politics and all the uh, rhetoric there. It is moving in a direction that I think we can only say it's it's good for everyone. So they're opening up uh, this massive city that they are building. It's called Neom, I think. Um, and, 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 you know, when you have an endless pit of money as the Saudis have, you can achieve quite the impossible dream, and which is what they're aiming for. So they've got this uh, new airline, uh, RIA, Riyadh International Airlines, and and they've got interesting personalities to boot as well. So, so Tony Douglas is going to help a bit. Peter Bellew, who used to ply his trade with Malaysia Airlines, it's going to be the chief operating officer, and you know he's a good guy. He's he's got very strong experience in in the airline industry, and I think they've got people like him, and and I'm sure other uh, strong, experienced um, characters there to help it move up quickly. So that's something that we need to pay attention to because once the Saudis get up to speed and they have, as I said, all the the means to do that, then where does it leave Dubai as as an aviation hub? Where does it leave Doha, where the Qataris have had uh, years and years of of good fortune because of the amount of money that they've they've invested into their airline and into the airport? So, and the Saudis overshadow everybody else because you know if you've got money in Qatar, if you've got money in Dubai, then they have ten times more money in in, in Saudi Arabia. So, and with the right management they can steal some of the business out of southeast asia i i i'm quite certain of that uh so the focus then they want more people to come tourism hospitality you know messi is the face of saudi arabia now so that's that's interesting and and i'm sure they won't stop there so it's it's a fascinating part of the world which has not been fully understood fully seen and i'm sure you know with with the new younger leadership that they have now i think it will transform into a place where uh hopefully you know it will it will gain more momentum and gain more understanding and credibility vis-a-vis other people other faith and other cultures from around the world so i i I look at that uh, very positively and i think that is an area we need to play you know to have uh to have pay to pay close attention to yeah, I would agree with that. Endless pit of money. That's a great phrase, Shukra. I think Saudi Aramco, I think last week announced, was it a record corporate profit? Oh, I yeah, think, yeah, $161 yeah. billion dollars or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, look, I think, you know, for what it's worth, I think we talk about sustainability. It's a very important core uh, concept in, in our industry today. But, you know, fossil fuel, as far as the, the Middle East uh, is concerned, it remains a, a strong part of the economy. And, as you said, we've just seen that the, you know, I, I can't think of uh, any other industry that can make that kind of money anywhere. You know, if the airlines can make, uh, uh, you know, one fifth of that, then they should be really happy.
Yeah, absolutely. You referenced their sustainability. The two the two huge elephants in the airport lounge at the moment really are sustainability and net zero. You've commented about this quite a lot recently. You know, what's happening? I mean, are we are we simply scratching the surface or are we actually tackling the key issues head on? I think there's a lot of talk and some good. A lot of them are fluff, in my view, uh, because you know sustainability is a is a buzzword today so you need to be seen to be sustainability savvy and and you know a person may say sustainability in every sentence that 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 he, he talks about but the reality comes down to whether or to 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 the extent of how airlines want to be sustainable so i i think uh, it's we're still a long way from net zero I think we're making effort. I, I see more effort being done, unfortunately, by by Western carriers um, in Europe, for example, um, Lufthansa, Air France, British Airways, and and not so much in the US, but certainly the Europeans are at the forefront of this. But here, in general, not just the airlines, but Asians don't really care about sustainability. I mean, some do, the young do, but it, it comes down to education, I think. It's not as, as widely push forward as it has been in, in Europe, for example. I mean, the Swedes have a word for it, flickscum, flight shaming. We here and we talk about still wanting to travel and all that. And when it comes to sustainability, it's about, you know, how much plastic are we going to be able to not use today? So that's the extent mostly for people out here, not the the real, you know, dollars and cents, which is the uh, the the the, um, the 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 carbon emission uh, impacting on the in industry, for example, and whether you know uh, sustainable aviation fuel is the way forward, whether hydrogen use. So that's not being debated enough, as I've written, and I think that's down to a lack of understanding and a lack of interest, certainly, by some governments also, by a lot of governments in the region uh, who would rather. You know, take advantage and exploit the pent-up travel demand, the revenge travel, and all that, instead of just uh, pushing this agenda forward. But thankfully, we have the OEMs, the manufacturers, Airbus is at, you know, at, at the top of the game um, in in terms of reflecting and also educating people about sustainability. Uh, you've got Boeing not far behind doing that also. But you can't leave it to them. I think governments have a lot to do and politicians are also responsible for this. We've covered a lot of ground today, Shoko, but looking back across these dark pandemic years and then the last 12 months where we've seen green shoots of recovery and now we're seeing a bit of a stronger recovery. Now, over the past three years, you and I have got to know each other quite well. We've been messaging and we've been reading each other's comments and, and, and the speeches that we've given. I always learn quite a lot from you. But in terms of the actual region and the industry, airlines, airports and aviation, you know, what have we learned over the last three years and how can we carry that forward? into the rest of 2023 and 24? Great question, Gary. I'm, I'm afraid we have learned very little, if not anything, um, from the lockdown of the last two, two and a half years. I think the aviation industry certainly has done a lot, but I speak in general terms. I think overall, I think we're back to the same old business where we're looking more at, at profitability instead of um, you know, lo- looking at the sensibility of, of business. 
Uh, I think the corporates have uh, a tendency to be distracted from you know the you know the greater things that we we need to focus on, which is you know the climate change. We need to look at what the young uh, has to be informed and, and educated on. So I'm afraid I think that the while the COVID has 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 gone by and shown us how um, destructive it can be, but we haven't really extracted much from that. In my view, I think in 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 a way which we can quickly uh, move to a level of competency, not just as passengers, not just as corporates, not just as a government, but as as a whole community, to drive ourselves and say, look, I mean, you know, the the lessons are very clear. What we need is to to blend in together more as as a community, as a society. Uh, instead, I think that there is what we can see is you know we haven't really moved closer to one another in in terms of governance, in terms of uh, relationship between countries, for example, despite what has happened in the last three years. So there hasn't forged. Uh, in in fact, there has there is growing mistrust, I would say, amongst uh, many countries here also. And I think we look at the the drive towards the, the, the expenditure in, in defense spending, which a lot of that would be better off going to the aviation industry, for example, because aviation is a, is a force for good. It connects the world, uh, the economies of the world. And yet, you know, we're spending a lot more on, on you know, not, not to sound too pessimistic about it, I think, but there is hope uh, because... You know, the industry has always been led by rational people, I would like to think, who are focusing not just on profitability, but also the desire to improve how we fly, the comfort level, the, um, you know, the, 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 uh, the driving down of carbon emissions and all that. So uh, we go towards 2030, we can see by then if we are able, if not sooner, to be able to, to cap uh, temperatures at one4 degrees it's became it's looking quite unlikely actually um but yeah those are some of the big issues so i'm, I'm sorry if i've uh, digressed a bit but those are some of the concerns that i see yeah no that's a great sweep through of uh, a lot of the issues that, that that have come up in the past three years and you know some of those big issues are, are just getting bigger as we go forward so let's finish on a personal note uh shakur for the rest of this year, 2023, we're, we're almost uh, through the first quarter. And what are your plans? Have you got much travel uh, planned for the rest of the year? And where are you headed? Well, I, I think I mentioned to you last year, I think I've, I've taken note of not to fly unless I have to. Uh, I'm, I'm really into trains these days. <laughs> Funny for an aviation analyst to say that. But but I, I, I having lived in Malaysia and and... Having, I, I spend a bit of time speaking to uh, people who work with the KTMB, Kreta Pitanah Melayu, which is the uh, railway um, company of, of Malaysia. And, you know, I'm, I'm starting to discover, if not for the floods recently, I would have traveled more because some of the floods in Johor impacted on, on the tracks and the rains, you know, affected the schedules of some of the, of the, of, of the trains. So, but yeah, Malaysia should should uh, invest more on on trains, and 
you know, likewise, I think it, it, it doesn't mean that it's going to compete with, with aviation, but uh, I think it's, it's, uh, it's something. I mean, Laos has a fantastic uh, train system paid by the, by the Chinese into the mainland. So I, I think people could help Laos airline, which is, is, which is in dire straits, in fact. Uh, they need a lot of support. They need a lot of money. Tourism is also not doing well there. For, for reasons that only they know. So, this, yeah, there's some of the things. I think 2023 will, will bring us, could, could bring us a lot of happiness. It could also bring us um, a lot of uh, sadness, I guess, uh, if, if, you know, the, all this confrontational talk and, and you know, um, politicians, I, I guess, are the ones that are, are really controlling the game today and whatever they say has has an impact on the aviation business on the airline business so i'm hoping for this is the year of the rabbit as you know in the chinese zodiac uh, so uh, rabbits are nimble they move around uh, they breed a lot also so hopefully you know uh, with all this talk about decline in population in china in japan in singapore so hopefully you know uh, when people travel more they they have uh, more happiness and they will procreate. <laughs> what, a, what a brilliant place to end the podcast. <laughs> from, from planes to trains to, to procreation. Thanks so much, Shukra. Thank you, Gary. It's wonderful to speak to you. So that brings us to the end of this edition of the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Thanks very much to Shukor for his revealing insights, as always. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And don't forget to send us your thoughts and your comments on anything we discussed or of course, anything we missed out, drop us a message on our LinkedIn page at the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Meanwhile, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, the seasiatravelshow.com. And that's a wrap for today, but Hannah and I will be back next week to talk more travel and tourism in Southeast Asia. See you next time.